You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Let me give you a little holy sweat report. Because the last four weeks, I've been encouraging you to, to serve in some ways around Waco and around the world. And what are some ways that we can follow in the footsteps of a Christ who came to serve that we might also become servants, servants to others and servants for the glory of God. So let me kind of give you just a little recap. I'm not going to go through all these, just a few little highlights that I think you probably need to know about and want to know about. Uh, Last week, I encouraged um, all of us to raise about $6,000 to take care of all the school supply needs for our 58 win kids here at Highland. And you met that need and even went beyond that need. So very grateful for that. All 58 of our win kids will have uniforms and the school supplies as given by the generous uh, people here at Highland. I received an email from Jimmy Doral this past week. Jimmy is the executive director or the founder of Mission Waco Mission World, uh, helped to start Jubilee Market. Kind of email from him that said this past month, July, when we asked you to go and shop there to kind of keep that ministry moving forward, was their highest growing month of sales since the very first month that they opened. So way to shop, Highland. Well done on that. Heard some remarkable stories of a lot of you meeting your neighbors bringing some pies or cakes or cookies or something just to to kind of break the the ice of the awkwardness of going to a neighbor that you might not know so well. And it was amazing the emails that I received back from you of how often you went to a neighbor that was in the middle of a really low time in their lives. Uh, One of you wrote me an email and said, I didn't know my neighbors very well. We took some food next door to them, got to know them and realized that our neighbor, the wife, um, has stage three cancer. And it was a way for us to encourage them and to pray for them. Uh, someone, one of you wrote and said you met a neighbor, brought some food there, and their, uh, the wife's father had just passed away a few days before. So it's amazing how uh, when we say yes to serving or yes to sweating, kind of stepping out of our comfort zone, how God uses his people at the right time to minister grace and to minister the presence of God. Heard some really sweet stories uh, inside this community as well here at Highland of, of those of y'all who had some good conversations when a gathering is over, you invited someone to, out to eat or to kind of make that connection or out for coffee and heard some, got some great emails on that. So I, I just think we need to just keep on doing that meet people you don't know so well, invite them over for a meal, invite them out to eat, invite them for coffee during the week. A lot of you signed up um, for volunteers, to be volunteers for our welcome team. I think we had four people last week say that they'd be willing to be foundation builders serving in the nursery, and so thank you for for that. I heard that many of y'all went to CareNet to drop off the baby wipes and the baby diapers, and when you walked in with your diapers and your wipes, the lady at the front desk said, oh, you must be from Highland. And so you definitely kind of started a trend there of caring for, for families and partnering with that ministry at CareNet. So I just want you to know, I think we should just keep, keep doing that. Let's just keep living a life of a servant. Uh, there will always be things that we can, we can respond to. There always will be needs. And so maybe some of you, however, might be thinking, you know, how, how long is this preacher guy going to ask us to sweat? Like how, how, how long do we have to respond and act and, and, and see needs and, and, and act with faith? Well, good news. There is coming a day where you won't have to serve or sweat anymore but we'll just do that until Jesus returns. We'll just keep on sweating until Jesus comes back. Then, then we can stop with the, with the holy sweating. But I pray that we are always known as a church, a congregation here in this city. That church, 
just sweats a lot. Like they, they give, they go, they act, they, they respond. If you want to, in your copy of God's word, would you turn with me please to Mark chapter five. We've just kind of been walking through the gospels this summer or this gospel this summer. Uh, we've gone through chapters one through four, taking some stories out of that to see again the servant Christ and how we too can be servants. So we're in Mark chapter five this morning. And as you make your way there, let me kind of give you a little context of what's been happening up to this point. In Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, so Mark 1 through 4, we see a whole lot of the prophetic, kind of challenging, um, just nature of Jesus. In Mark 1 through 4, we see him headed, I mean, just straight on, head-on collision and, and arguments with, with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes. And so he was unafraid. We see these head-on conflicts he had with the leaders of, of, of the Jewish faith, and he didn't hold back. Then Jesus told also some really strong in-your-face parables back in chapter 4. There's several parables there that just don't hold back at all. They're, they're a little cutting. They, they kind of go right to, to the core of us. In the very end of chapter 4, Jesus stands up to a storm and rebukes it. So this is kind of the nature of, of Jesus in Mark 1 through 4 of just this kind of confrontational, again, prophetic, kind of just in his, in his nature. And then in chapter 5, we begin to see other parts of the character of Christ. Starting in, in chapter 5, we begin to see this Jesus who is so compassionate and, and, and so tender and so merciful and so ministering. Because what happens is he begins to encounter people who are at a place of desperation. Just some desperate people in Mark chapter 5. And as I look across the congregation this morning, I would imagine there's a lot of you that you are either at a desperate place or you've been in a desperate place before or you have a family member or a friend or someone that you love and they're just in a place of desperation. Let me give you a short yet exhaustive definition of the word desperation. Desperation is when the need is great, the time is short, and the options are zero. That's desperation. And again, maybe in a house this size or some of you who feel like that's right where I am. I've got this incredible need that the time is winding down, the time is short, and I'm, I'm out of options. I'm not even sure where else to go. When you're at a place of desperation, you're asking God, God, are you going to put a stop to this because no one else can stop what's happening in my life tomorrow? When you're at a place of desperation, you're asking that question, will there even be a tomorrow? Am I going to lose my house? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my health? Am I going to lose my mind? Am I going to lose my kids? Am I going to lose the opportunity? Am I, am I losing my faith? Again, perhaps you are there. You have been there. There's someone that you love that's at that place of, of desperation. God, you're going to have to step in and help. You know, some Sunday mornings you come to church and you hear a sermon that's really direct and other Sundays you come to church and you hear a sermon that's, that's really deep, kind of go down deep into God's word. Other times you, you come to church on a Sunday and the sermon is very reflective and it really makes you um, more contemplative and you contemplate the things that you heard on a Sunday morning. And then there's other Sunday mornings that the sermon is just beautifully simple. And that's where we're headed this morning. Mark chapter five, let's go to the very middle of that chapter and pick it up in verse 21. Desperation. And when Jesus had crossed again, because Jesus is just zigzagging across the Sea of Galilee at this point, 
He crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd, that should be of no surprise if you've been with us this summer, this, this large multitude, a great crowd of people, they were just gathering all about him. And he was beside the sea. In other words, they just kind of pulled up on the, on, on the banks of the sea there, the shoreline of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And there he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, not a priest, not a scribe, but, but a ruler, probably more like a manager of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him and a crowd followed him and thronged about him. Let's, let's stop real quick. In, in this narrative, that's all we catch before Jesus then intersects with someone else who is in a desperate situation before the, we then hear the rest of the story. So Mark, in writing this, almost kind of leaves us at a, at a cliffhanger. Here is Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, who's come to Jesus and has said, my daughter is dying. And Jesus goes, let's, let's go see her. And then there's several verses in between, almost like an interruption to the story. But I want you to see this, just in these few verses, in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, we begin to see this this faith in the life of of Jairus. And here's what I put in my notes to to pass on to you that you might want to write down in your notes as well. Faith that acts and asks moves the heart of Jesus. This faith that is asking and this faith that is acting it begins to move the heart of Jesus so that Jesus, even though the crowd is around him, he's like, let's go. Let's go see this daughter of yours. Now, I do want to say right here at the beginning, God does not do our bidding. In other words, we submit to God. It's not that God submits to us. And yet there is something in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, where we see that God is moved by the faith of his people. Hebrews chapter 11 says that God is a rewarder of those who have Faith. Also in Hebrews chapter 11, it says it's impossible to please God without what? Without faith. And so there's something in, in, in our hearts when we display faith and we act on that faith and we ask in that faith, it begins to move the heart of Jesus. So a few things I want us to see this morning, just in these few short verses here, it's almost the anatomy of a man with faith. Here's the first thing I would say to you. He falls at the feet of Jesus. This is what it says in verse 22. Jairus by name, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. In other words, he he bowed down at the feet of Jesus. The the same word that would be used in the Hebrew Old Testament that would be used right here is the same word for worshiped. It means he, he came in low. He bowed down low to Jesus. He fell at his feet. Now, why would he do that? Basically, here's, here's the reason. Because Jairus knew who he was and Jairus knew who Jesus was. And it caused him to bow. It caused him to fall down, to come in low in worship before Jesus. The, the ruler with a small r bows down to the ruler with a capital R. I know who you are and I know who I am. And so he falls at the feet of Jesus. So if you're here today and there's some desperate things happening in your life, the first thing I want you to see here is that faith is a faith that, that acts and it asks and that begins to move the heart of Jesus. And Jairus, he falls at the feet of Jesus in verse 22. Here's the second thing I don't want you to miss. He pleads with Jesus emotionally. Verse 23. 
The ESV says that he implored him earnestly. If you have a different translation, it might use the word he pleaded earnestly. What does that mean? It means that he begged with his heart. He begged with his emotions. And every dad who is in this house today can only imagine the emotions of this dad when he said, my daughter is at the point of death. This means she does not have weeks to live or even hours to live, but she might have moments to live. This was a desperate father who falls at the feet of Jesus in the middle of a desperate situation with his young daughter. He falls on his knees, begins to plead, he begins to implore earnestly, begins to beg with his heart. Maybe some of you are here today saying, is that how I need to pray when things are desperate? Do I just fall before the Lord and weep before him and cry out before him? Let me show you how Jesus prayed. It's in Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. You'll see on the screen behind me, it says, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud crying and tears to the one who can save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Listen, how this was Jesus in a place of desperation. This was Jesus when death was at his door. And how did Jesus pray? Even though Jesus knew what was going to happen on the other side of the cross, how did he pray? He prayed with loud crying. He prayed with tears to the only one who was able to save him. I would say to you today, Highland, the last place to be stoic and the last place to be collected and the last place to be reserved is in the presence of God when you're in the middle of desperation. Weep. Before him, cry out before him. Here is Jairus, and he is imploring Jesus. He is begging with all the emotions in his heart. Here's the third thing I want you to see he is specific with Jesus. I love how, how Jairus says this in verse 23, kind of the, the middle part of verse 23. He says, Now, would you, Jesus, would you please come? I'm asking you, Jesus, to, to come and lay hands. On my daughter. So look how specific he is. I want you to come with me. I'm not asking this just to happen right here. Would you please come with me? And when you come with me, would you come into my house? And when you come to my house, would you take your hands, Jesus? Specifically, would you lay your hands on my daughter? This was not some generic general, hey, Jesus, I need some help. And I would say to his highland that when we pray generally and God answers generally, we miss it generally. But when we pray specifically and God answers specifically, we can thank him specifically. And here comes Jairus and he is so specific with Jesus. I'm begging you, I am pleading with you on my knees with my tears, crying out, would you come to my house? Would you lay your hands on my daughter? And here's the fourth thing that we see in this anatomy of faith. He has confidence in what Jesus could do. Look what it says here, the end of this story here in verse, uh, verse 23, the very end of verse 23. Come and lay your hands on her so that, here's his confidence, so that she may be made well and live. Jairus knew what Jesus could do. And that's what faith looks like in the middle of desperation. This is a faith that, that acts and a faith that asks. And it moves the heart of Jesus, falling at the feet of Jesus, crying out to Jesus, specific with Jesus, having confidence in what Jesus could do. Now we're going to have to skip the middle part of the story and come back to it. So let's pick up the rest of what's happening here in the life of Jairus. Pick up in verse 35. So Mark chapter 5, verse 35. 
Because this entire time, from verse 24 to verse 34, Jesus is making his way to the house of Jairus. And it says in verse 35, and while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to Jairus, to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him. This is Jesus saying, no one else come with me except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and they were wailing loudly. So do you get the scene right here, Highland? This is a scene of intense grief. This is a scene of mournful desperation. This young girl had died. The father went to see if he could find some help. By the time he came back, the daughter had already passed away. And so this was grief multiplied by grief, multiplied by desperation. Let's pick it back up here in verse 39. And when he had entered... Jesus said to them, meaning the crowd that was weeping and wailing loudly, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. (laughs) But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to overpreach that little, I love that. Oh, you don't have any faith? If you'd step outside, please. This is what Jesus says. And I don't want to over-preach that, but I also don't want to under-preach that little detail that the Holy Spirit made sure that Mark wrote down. So here's what I wrote in my notes for me that you might want to write in your notes for you. Cynics so often miss the powerful acts of God. Cynics, those who just laugh at what Jesus says he can do or who he says he is. Those who are so skeptical about a God who can do all things. I wonder how often cynics just miss out on the incredible acts of God. How often those who are faithless miss the miracles. In fact, did you catch right here? Well, you're about to catch right here. Those who laughed missed out on the resurrection. They missed it. They missed the joy of what the story is about to unfold for us. Cynics so often miss the powerful acts of God. Let's pick it back up here in verse, verse 40 again. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And they went in where the child was. Look at verse 41 with me. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, or Talitha kumi, if you have the ESV or KJV this morning, which means little girl, I say to you, Arise. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately, there's Mark's word again, they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus has a way of turning cynicism into amazement and people are amazed and he, Jesus, strictly charged that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. In other words, Jesus was saying, don't tell anyone. I think it's because the crowds were already oppressive. It was already hard for Jesus and his disciples even to make it you know, around, around the lake. So don't, don't tell anybody. There are so many people already pressing in. And then I love how practical Jesus is. And give this girl something to eat. She's been dead. She's hungry. She's walking around. Give this girl something to eat. Now something happens in between Jarius telling Jesus 
about his daughter that was at the point of death and Jesus going to Jairus' house. And this is the story. We can't miss this. It's a great story, again, of desperation. Look at Mark chapter 5. Look at verse 25. So here's Jesus and Jairus trying to make their way to Jairus' house. He was a ruler of the synagogue, verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even can touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? That would have been shocking to this lady. She was trying to sneak up behind him. She was trying to do one of those touch and runs, right? She said, touch it, I'm going to get out of here. I'm, I'm healed, go home. And in fact, it would have been illegal for her in a mosaic law because she was bleeding. She would have been ceremonially unclean. For her to have reached out and touched a rabbi, she would have broken the Old Testament law. And so now Jesus turns around and cries out, who touched my garments, I would imagine immediate anxiety fell upon this lady. She was there for the touch and run and Jesus found her. Look at verse 31. This is a great little sentence. And his disciples said to him, do you see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, who touched me? Loose translation, Jesus, bro, everyone's touching you. Like you're making it through the crowd and everyone's reaching out. We're touching you. They're touching you. Touch, touch, touch. You're just being touched everywhere that you go. What do you mean who reached out and touched my garments? In fact, that the phrase there, if you go back to Mark chapter five, look at verse 24. There's an interesting little phrase, interesting word there in verse 24. I think it's interesting how the ESV renders this word. It's the word thronged. Uh, your Bible probably translates that as, as pressed. It's the word synthiblo in, in Greek. And it means to be so crowded, you can't move. It's like you're at a, an opening night of, of a concert, the opening night of a movie, or the lobby on August 25th. Like you can't move. Like it's just shoulder to shoulder. You're trying to kind of squeeze, squeeze through. So that's, that's what it's like. So that's why the disciples were like, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone is touching you. Everywhere you go, people are all around you. There's people leaning into you, people reaching out to you. What do you mean who touched you? Look at the rest of this little story here, verse 30, 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling, and she does the same thing that Jairus does. She falls down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, I get goosebumps every time, daughter the only time in scripture Jesus refers to someone as daughter the singular time in the gospels Jesus looks to a lady and says daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease he calls her daughter He knew her. He knew her life. He knew her story. Daughter, how sweet, how kind, how compassionate of Christ. 
Her faith had so moved him. Her faith that was asking, her faith that was reaching, her faith that was believing so moved the heart of Jesus that the singular time in the Gospels, he turns around and says to her, daughter. You gotta catch this. When he said your faith has made you well, I know some of y'all get so bored with the Greek, but just stay with me on this. That, that word well is the word sozo, which almost everywhere else in the New Testament is translated salvation or obtaining salvation. So I'll be glad to go on record of saying her faith that day not only healed her of a physical disease, I believe her faith that day healed her of a spiritual disease of sin. Because Jesus looks to her and says, your faith has obtained a salvation. Your faith has made you well. And the reason I say that is because the very next words that Jesus uses, now go in peace. Peace with God, peace with man, peace in heaven, peace with your past. You can now go in peace and, and just enjoy being healed of your disease. Let's break down the anatomy of this faith. Here's the first thing you can write down. Faith, by definition, has to be exercised and applied. Later on, James would write that faith without any works or faith without any exercising or faith without any application, it's what? It's dead. It's a useless faith. So faith, by, by definition, has to be exercised. It has to be applied. There, without application, without exercise, there is no faith. So faith, by definition, has to do both of those things. Here's the three things I want you to see in the anatomy of the, the faith of this lady. Here's the first thing, and, and this pertains to every one of us in this room. Her healing began with others magnifying Jesus. I have read this story my whole life. I've never seen this sentence before until this past week, getting ready to stand and preach this to you. Would you go back to verse 27 of Mark chapter five? This is where the healing actually begins. In Mark chapter five, verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. She would have had no idea that she could have gone to Jesus and reached out toward him and been healed unless first of all, she would have heard reports of people boasting of what Christ could do. Here's what I'm trying to say. People were magnifying Jesus. People were talking about Jesus. People were saying he is who he says he is. He can do what he says that he can do. And she heard those reports. And it was those reports that began to build up some faith inside of her, began to build up some anticipation inside of her. It all began with people bragging about Jesus. I get so frustrated. Highland, here comes my pastor vulnerable point. I get so frustrated when I hear people talk about their private faith. Oh, my faith is just between the Lord and I. I don't really talk about it. I don't want people to feel uncomfortable about it. Aren't you glad people at Capernaum weren't private about their faith that day? Aren't you glad they were out saying, this, this man named Jesus, he claims to be the Messiah. He is doing remarkable things. He, he is causing those who are sick to be healed, those who are lame to walk again. You need to hear this report. I am so glad that, that the Apostle Paul wasn't private about his faith. I'm so glad that Billy Graham wasn't private about his faith. We should not be private about our faith because here are these people sitting around talking about what these, what the, the things that Christ had done, magnifying Jesus, boasting in Jesus, bragging on the acts of Jesus, and that was the first step to her healing. Second thing, she has confidence just like Jairus in what Jesus can do. 
Look at verse 28. She even says this. I love this. For she said, she declares this out loud. For she said, verse 28, if I touch his garments, if I touch even his garments, I will be. That's a declarative statement. I will be made well. She knew. She believed. She was exercising. She was applying her faith. But here's the third thing. And this is pretty important for me to convey to you. It wasn't the touch nor the garment, but her faith that sparked the miracle. That's why Jesus did not say here in verse 30, 34, daughter, your reaching out has made, your, made you whole. Or daughter, your, your, your confidence has made you whole that if you touch my garment, he said, no, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has obtained for you a salvation. So now go in peace and, and be healed. Enjoy the healing of your disease. It wasn't the touch. It wasn't the garment. It was her faith applied. It was her faith exercised. I think I can wrap up Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, all five of those chapters with this next statement. Here's what I would say Mark 1 through 5 is all about. We're going to kind of come to a closing point right here. Some sit and watch with skepticism. Others ask and act with faith. That's the delineation. There are few people in Mark 1 through 5 who sat somewhere in the middle. They either were on the sidelines watching, sitting, skeptical, or they're in the game. They were pursuing with faith and asking with faith and living, acting with faith. Now, I'm not going to re-preach all my sermons to you, but let me just kind of rewind a little bit. If you want to even go back and follow along in your Bible, I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 very quickly. And don't get nervous. This is going to be a really fast exercise. Mark chapter 140, you have this desperate leper. What is he doing? He is asking and acting with faith. He wasn't sitting, he wasn't watching, he wasn't skeptical. He is asking and acting with faith. In, in Mark chapter 2, verse 4, you probably remember this story the four friends. They were so filled with faith that they lowered their paralytic friend. They ripped off the roof, they peeled off the roof, and they dropped down their paralytic friend. These were four desperate friends lowering their friend through the roof, asking and acting. And faith. In that same story, though, in Mark chapter 2, verse 6, the religious leaders in the house were literally sitting and watching and questioning with skepticism. In Mark chapter 3, verse 2, the Pharisees were there at the synagogue. They were ready to, to catch Jesus in the act of healing on a Sabbath. And so here they are sitting with, with a skepticism. They're watching. They're sitting back, hoping to catch Jesus, do something wrong. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, instead, a man with a withered hand reaches out, acting in faith, and Jesus heals him. We just saw just then in Mark chapter 5, verse 23, this desperate dad by the name of Jairus asking in faith, acting in faith. We saw in Mark chapter 5, verse 27, this desperate woman without a name acting in faith as she reached out to Jesus. We saw in Mark chapter 5, verse 40, a few moments ago, the crowd laughing with skepticism. This is the story of Mark. This is the story of Christianity. And this is the story of our week ahead of us. Everyone in this house will either sit and watch with skepticism or act and ask in faith. There is very little middle ground. Come and sit and watch or come and ask and act with faith. What are some ways we can act in faith this week? I'm glad you asked. Here's some opportunities for, for holy sweat. Just four ways. Just, and here's what I'm asking, Highland. Just choose one. 
I'm I'm not asking everyone in this house to to have to do all four of these this week. I'm not trying to heap on legalism. I am trying to prompt all of us to be reminded that we are created in Christ Jesus to do things like we're about to see on the screen. Here's the first thing. Pray for another church in Waco this week. Maybe one that's in your neighborhood. Maybe one that's near your work. Maybe one that, that you pass by on your way to work. Maybe a church that you think about, maybe a church that, that, that you were a part of years ago, maybe you have friends that attend there, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a church that has uh, some attendance issues or some financial issues or some, some personnel issues. I, I'm, I'm assuming, I hope this is a safe assumption, that you pray for your church every week. I would, I would hope every day, but I'll, I'll take every week. I, I pray that we, I hope that we all in this room, we pray for this church, our Highland family weekly. So what I'm asking you to do is to go a little beyond that and sweat just a little bit and serve others, the kingdom of God within Waco and take some time. I'll even say the rest of this calendar year and you find another church you can pray for. And when I say pray for, I'm saying ask God's glory like fire to fall down on that church. Ask for that church to be the largest church in Waco and to baptize more people in Waco than any other church. I'm not asking you just to to pray small prayers for other churches, but the other churches in Waco would just blow up with the Spirit's power. I pray that we would do that. Find another church and pray for that church. Seek the Lord for that church. Here's a second way that's really practical. Adopt a senior adult at the quality care nursing home. We have a ministry at Quality Care. Um, I think it's about 115 that, that, that are living there. What we're asking is maybe for four or five or six of you, maybe 10 or 12, I'm not sure what the Lord's gonna impress upon your heart, but that about twice a month you would go and you would spend some time with that senior adult, that senior citizen that's in the Quality Care Living Center. What would we do? Well, you can talk kindly to them. You can share stories. You can always open up God's word and just read scripture to them. But if right now, so this is one of those moments where we kind of realize why we were created. If right now you feel the Lord saying, man, you you can do that. You have the time to do that. If you put some other things away, you can do that. So maybe the Lord's calling some of us to to sweat a little bit more this year by finding a senior adult. And if you're interested in that, you can email Janet Ross, one of our senior adult pastors. If that name slips your mind, just, just email me and I'll pass it on to Janet. There may be a way that some of us these next several months can sweat by by adopting a senior citizen and knowing their stories and knowing their heart and praying with them and reading God's word to them. Here's a third thing that's also, I hope, really practical. Practical. Let's serve breakfast to 125 homeless men and women in our city on Friday, October 11th. How specific is that? Here, here's what I'd like for us to do. This happens every Friday anyway through Mission Waco, Mission World, and, and, and the Myers Center, is that every Friday morning, there's a, 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 usually a church group that will cook breakfast at six, uh, serve the breakfast at seven, and then leave by eight to head on to work. So I'm gonna be the point person for this, and I'm kinda hoping I don't show up by myself on that Friday, October 11th, to cook for 125 people. But I'd love for about 15 or 20 of you to say, you know what, I'll join in on that. I can sweat in that way. In fact, it's October, so it may even be that sweaty of a morning anyway. Come and sweat with us as we serve food. And we're talking about just basic, practical expressions of Christianity. Feeding those who are hungry. So we're going to do that together as a church family on that Friday morning, October 11th. If you're interested in that, just send me an email, send me a text. I'd love to sign you up and we'll go and cook together. Here's my last way, practical, that you and I can, can serve others 
this week. So I'm not asking on this next one for you to consider doing this in 2020. I'm talking about this week for us to do this together. Here's the fourth thing. Ask a waitress or a waiter or a cashier or a barber or a barista or a dry cleaner or an Uber driver how you can pray for them or the other 30 people you might interact with this week. You know what I'm talking about? The people that you have at least a few seconds of their undivided attention. To leverage that time, to leverage that really short, often for us in America, it's just a transactional relationship to us. What if a transactional relationship became a spiritual relationship? Where you'd have the confidence, I pray, to at least say, how can I pray for you? I'm not saying that you need to start off with are you going to heaven when you die? I'm just not a believer that's the best question to begin with, but I'm a strong believer that one of the best questions you can start with is, you know, I, man, we all, we all live in this world. How, how can I pray for you this week? One of two things will happen. A spiritual conversation will ensue or they will say, no thanks. More than likely, especially those who are in the service industry, you will catch them off guard because they have not been asked that question in a long time. It's usually, why were you late? My eggs are cold. My hair looks terrible now. Whatever that might be. This is a long list of things that, that we, often we say to those in the service industry. But what if you took the time and simply said, how can I pray for you this week? Something really grabbed my heart's attention this week in Mark chapter 5. It's the side-by-side comparison of these two people we just read about who were in desperate situations. You had Jairus who wanted to keep a daughter he had for 12 years and a woman who wanted to lose her affliction she had for 12 years. And both of them in the same time found hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, here's Jarius and, and this woman. Here's Jarius. He has a known job here in this passage. It's a good job. We, we even know his name. Therefore, I've been calling him Jarius this entire morning. And then we have this woman who is positionless, no title. We don't even know her name. And yet both of them in time together found hope in Christ. Here's Jarius, wealthy because he had a house. He had this title of of ruler, and I hope you picked up on this earlier. And here's a woman who is bankrupt. Did you see that in verse 26? She spent all the money she had. And wealthy Jarius and this bankrupt woman, in time together, both found hope in Jesus Christ. Two genders, two economic positions, two different needs, two different approaches. Here is Jairus that comes face to face with Jesus and speaks to him. And here is this lady the Bible says snuck up behind Jesus for the touch and run. And she's trying to get out of there as quick as she can. Two different approaches to Jesus. Both found their hope. Both found their answer. Both found their faith placed in Christ. So if you're here today and you're in the middle of desperation where the need is great, the time is short, and the options are zero. Here's what I would say as we close. No matter your situation, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your word that has come to us today. It is your word. And now we have the choice this week to kind of sit back and watch with skepticism, to become cynics. God, to come before you and to ask and to act. Knowing that it is impossible to please God without faith. And God, you're a rewarder of those who seek you in faith. So God, for those here today who are in the middle of desperate situations or their loved ones, their close friends, or in desperate situations, Father, I pray that today we would find what Jerry has found and what this woman without a name found, and that was hope in Jesus Christ in the middle of their desperation. For those who feel like that they might give up in faith this week, oh God, we pray as a church family for those among us today who feel like cashing it in, throwing in the towel, and being done with this faith. God, would you increase their faith? Would you say to them what you said to Jarius? Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. God, this week, would you give us the grace to sweat, to go, to do, to serve, to respond, to act in that faith. Father, we thank you for your grace given to us through Christ Jesus on a cross and in an empty tomb. We remember this good news today. In Christ we pray. Amen.